Are you tired of arguing with your kids? Do you feel like every other conversation with your child ends in a conflict? Are there days when your kids just won't listen? Well, imagine a relationship with your child that was full of cooperation rather than conflict. On this episode of Brainy Moms, Terry and I interviewed Cynthia Klein, parenting coach and author of the book, Ally Parenting, a non-adversarial approach to transform conflict into cooperation, a book that I believe should be on every parent's bookshelf. Cynthia teaches us specific tips for changing how we communicate with our kids to encourage them to listen more and argue less. Don't miss this one. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Brady Moms, brought to you today by Learning RX One-on-One Brain Training Centers. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Moore, here with my co-host, Terry Miller, coming to you today from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We are excited to bring you a conversation today with our guest, Cynthia Klein. Cynthia is a parenting coach, family happiness expert, and author of the book, Ally Parenting, a non-adversarial approach to transform conflict into cooperation. Cynthia earned a child psychology degree at UC Berkeley, is a former elementary school teacher, and is certified in adult education and many parenting education programs. She's here today to share wisdom from her unique parenting formula that turns conflict into cooperation by changing the way we communicate with our children. So glad to have you here, Cynthia. And you've got an amazing approach to parenting, lots of inspiration for us. So let's start out by giving our listeners a little background. Great. It's so great to be here and talking to to you ladies. So uh, I'm Cynthia Klein, and I have been, my background is I was a child psychologist. I'm sorry, I majored in child psychology, and um, but I really am an educator. That's my heart is. So I went on to be a teacher. And as I was an elementary school teacher, it I realized that my true mission was how to create a more connected, happy relationships, because I didn't have that with my mother. Like my mother was born in the 20s. They didn't know how to listen. They didn't know how to communicate. Um, they didn't even with each, you know, within the family at all. So I and I can remember being a teenager and one time I had quite a few conflicts with my mother, <laughs> mother-daughter th- conflict thing was big. And so I can remember getting upset with her again and crying. I remember being on the bed and my mother out in the kitchen talking to my dad as though nothing had happened. Like, I remember that viscerally. Like, I was so pained. Like, I don't want this. I want something better. So I think when I shifted from being a teacher to working with parents it was, it was like my, I had a daughter, she was five years old. It was like, this is what I want to do to really work on my relationship with my daughter because I didn't have a sample of it, right? I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. So sometimes you might have a parent educator who grew up in a, a, a very loving family, which mine had its issues. Right? And so I come from a point of, I had a vision of a close relationship with a teenage daughter, right? That was my end point. So, of course, I had a daughter when she was very challenging, right? And so my whole vision was, what do I do differently? How do I change so that I can create what I want to because I didn't have it? I think that's really crucial. I I didn't come from that background. I came from what do I need to change? So I really see parenting 
is a great opportunity for personal growth. And I'll tell you, my friends told me I was nicer after I had my daughter because I was developing myself. I was learning how to be more caring, how to be more compassionate, how to listen. And so I'm a better listener to my friends as well. So anything people read about in my book, they can use with their friends, their partner. I love that. And I love yeah. that you made that distinction too, because as I was reading that, that that's the first thing I thought was, this is not just applicable to relationships with your children, but you know, as a teacher educator, we could totally teach teachers to communicate this way um, with students um, and really see a more cooperative environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I had that when I was an elementary school teacher, I used to do classroom meetings. That was my training, how to do that, how to build the connection with kids. Um, and so I've done that with children in the classroom. And yes, it's, you can do it in many different areas of life. Well, yeah. With, with co- in the work environment, with coworkers and a, any kind of a collaborative situation, you know, PTA meetings, you know, I mean, whatever, when you're a part of a group, I think this is it's just really valuable tactics. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's start with the basics. You describe three different parenting roles that as parents, we take on depending on the challenge or the situation. They're not static, right? They kind right. of move right. with whatever the decision needs to be made or whatever the situation is. Talk a little bit about those three roles and, and what that looks like. And I love this, um, like I learned about the concept of three roles from Michael Popkin, who's my mentor, amongst others. And I find when I coach parents, so I've been working with parents about 29 years now. And the very first thing we have to think about is, okay, who's responsible for solving this problem that's arisen? Whether it's doing chores, whether it's doing homework, whether it's how late the kid's going to be out. So we have to really be clear on that. Whose problem is this to solve? So if it's something that you want your kids to do and they don't want to do, crime one is uh, limitations on (laughs) things on the internet or whatever, you think, okay, I feel this is important. There's a safety reason for it. There's a health reason for it. This is important that I set some rules about this. And you clearly tell your kid that, and then you use director role strategies to make sure it happens. And they don't have to agree. You're not, a lot of parents want it. They try to talk their kids into trying to agree with them with their rule because they think then they'll obey and then they won't get mad at them. No, when you're a director, kids won't like it. Just, (laughs) just know that. Right. It's okay. You know, they need that security to know that there's sometimes you can just say, okay, it's time to empty the dishwasher. That's also a director role. Mm -hmm. And too many parents try to soften it. Well, when do you think you could do it? And, you know, they, they, they're too afraid, I think. (laughs) Or they ask, would you please, when, if it's not an option, we don't ask, right? We tell. Yes, yes. And in fact, I'm doing next week a free workshop, actually, for parents of nine to 14 year olds, all about giving requests that lead to arguing and what you can do instead. So I should talk about that later. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Because that's a big thing. Again, yeah. So you're directing, you're telling them 
what to do. And I teach how to do that very respectfully. But there's some situations where it's really a joint problem, um, which is the it impacts everybody. So or a couple people. So like getting out of the house on time, that's a joint problem. It isn't yours to direct. See, too many parents get into. All right. Put your shoes on. Time to go. Have you done this? Have you packed your lunch? Like they're like the director, you know, directing, whereas they should be first collaborating, coming up with a plan and then maybe using a few director strategies. But um, like you were you were saying, Amy, about asking kids to help. You don't ask them when it's actually a joint problem to solve, like. You know, doing chores is a big one that I'm really keen on parents collaborating with their kids, coming up with a plan, collaborative plan. Whenever you do a collaborative plan, this is key, is to know it won't necessarily work. Like, don't think that we made a plan, we posted it. Why aren't you doing it? (laughs) Like making the plans easy the follow through is hard. So you might do a collaborative problem solving and then you might have to use some director role strategies just to make sure there's follow through. Okay. It's it's not like one thing or the other. So, right. Because even when your kids have kind of said, well, I'll do this and that, do they really want to, you know, take out the dog, you know, take out the trash. They don't really want to. So, but, but you want to teach them that this is, they're responsible. This is a family. This is a unit. We need to figure out together how we're going to solve these problems. It isn't like if, so if one person doesn't cook, everybody's impacted. So that's a collaborative mindset. And as you were saying before about asking kids to do something, that's not a collaborative mindset. That's thinking you're acting as though, oh, these, this is my chore, could you help me do it? And then kids feel like they can say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, the, and I think they also then feel like, well, that's your issue. That's your problem, mom. You know, you, you take care of it. I don't really care about it. It's not my issue. Right. And so then there's not this invested, like, no, that's my responsibility. We all agreed. That's my responsibility. So. And even if they don't embrace that philosophy, even though we've gone through the planning together, because you keep, you're going to have to get back together about this probably over and over and over again. You're going to have to, whenever you do a plan, you're going to say, okay, we're going to try it for a week. We're going to get back together and we're going to see, is this working or not? So what happens so often, you do a plan, it starts to fall apart. Okay. And then parents start to come in as the director. So they lose that perspective (laughs) that it's a joint problem. And then they get mad at the kids. You said you were going to do this and you're not. And it just gets messy. So just know whenever you make a plan to also put on the calendar, okay, we're going to do this for a week or two weeks, and we're going to get back together on this day. We're going to see how it's going. That helps them get that sense of responsibility and you're, you're still going to have to use some director strategies. One of my favorite ones is the after then or the work before play strategy. Okay. Tell us about that. What does that mean? Um, And so I even write a story about myself and my daughter concerning picking or cleaning the bathroom. And 
So, of course, we got together and we decided who's going to do what chores. Did my daughter want to clean the bathroom? No, but it's important, right? It's important for her to learn that skill. I don't want to let her go out and have a roommate and she doesn't know she's not used to cleaning the bathroom. Then who wants to live with her, right? Mm -hmm. So remember that you're when you're having your kids do chores, you're training them for them to realize that this is what you do in life. So the work before play or the after then. This is a, a director role strategy. You use when, it's only strategies, you, you only use at certain times. That's important to understand. This is when your child is asking to do something that you're okay with them doing. Okay. So this is the mindset. They're saying, can I fill in the blank? The story I tell in the book is, my daughter says, can I go to Beth's house? Okay. This is, she's a teenager. <clears throat> and I'm thinking right away, what hasn't she done yet? <laughs> Go through the list, right? Okay, now I've got an after then situation that I can pull up. Okay. And then I think, oh, she hasn't cleaned the bathroom yet. Okay. So she's wanting something. She's wanting the play. I'm fine with that. So I say, after you clean the bathroom, then you can go. Now, notice the, the exact phrasing. After you, what it is, then you can what they want to do. Very important. A lot of parents try to switch it. They put, oh, yeah, you can go to your friend's house after you clean the bathroom. You see the difference? They hear you can go to your friend's house mm -hmm. as the first thing, and then they tune out the rest. Mm. Yeah, they so, focus on that then, right? Yeah. And then you said I could go, <laughs> right? That's what wow. they'll say. They yeah. are so clever. I'll tell you. <laughs> That's really good. That's such a good, like minor distinction that can make such a big difference in communication and outcome. It's yeah. huge, huge. So that's why I'm really strict when I teach this to parents. You must say. So I say, after you clean the bathroom, then you can go. Now, do not expect your child to say, oh, okay, now I had a strong-willed child. I deal with parents with strong-willed kids. So she didn't say, oh, all right, mom, I'll go do that. No. Okay. Always complain. Well, why do I have to do that now? Why didn't you tell me sooner? Everybody's going there. Just know that's going to come at you. And you can just say, I can handle that. I know what to say. After the bathroom, then you can go. So you just repeat it or you shorten words. I encourage parents to shorten words instead of this expansiveness, right? <laughs> they want to first. Right. Shorten, shorten, shorten. Then right. So she'll complain again. And when and before I put it in the book, I had her read it. Is this how it went? Oh yeah, that's how it went. Okay. <laughs> and but they always she, she would blame me. Why didn't I remind her earlier? It's so it's so the tendency is it's your fault. So don't don't bite it. Don't say, don't defend yourself. Do not do that. Don't say, well, if you had done that earlier, then you wouldn't, you could go right away. Do not do that. Don't shame your child. Don't defend yourself. You just are like, okay, Cynthia said, just stick. There's a narrow little path. Okay. So she complained again. Um, bathroom first. Okay. Guess what? She cleaned the bathroom. Now, you might have to go check it to see 
how thoroughly it was cleaned because she's wanting to go off and do something. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. You need to go home and check. Um, I had one dad and two 15-year-old boys that were like really strong-willed. So I was teaching him this after them. And he had to repeat it five times. Mm-hmm. He did exactly what I told him, less and less and less. And then the kids go, oh, all right. It's, it's like he was stronger and he and the kids knew that he wasn't going to change. He knew his script and he wasn't going to change. He wasn't going to argue. So be careful. Don't argue. Don't defend yourself. I hear parents doing that all the time, arguing and defending yourself. So after that, again, it's, it's not a manipulation. It's simply they're saying, can I do this play thing that you're okay with? And you're thinking, what haven't they done yet? <clears throat> So that's like a director role after you've done some collaboration. So you see you use all roles at different times. And then the third role, ah, this is a supporter or confidant role. And this role is when it's your child's problem to solve. Director role, you're the one thinking they don't want this. I need to direct them to do it. Collaborator, it impacts everybody. So we have to come up with a decision together. Supporter is this is their problem to solve, not for me to jump in and tell them what to do. This is a very hard role for parents to play. Let's say your child's having struggles with a friend. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. And you are itching to tell them what to do. <laughs> like, like, you know, however, it's best if you have in your mind, this is my child's problem to solve. And if I can be there as a support for them to vent to as much as they want to, maybe we'll come up with ideas, maybe not. But then it helps them use their brain and develop their brain as they talk about it aloud. Like we, you know, we go to a therapist, right? As a, as a person who knows how to listen. So being a parent who I learned how to be a supporter, I didn't know how to at the beginning. So that's why I can teach anybody. <laughs> I didn't know how to be empathetic. I didn't have empathetic parents. But to learn how to respond so that they feel comfortable coming to you whenever they need to. To me, that was the greatest skill that I wanted to learn. And it has really paid off. My daughter's now 33, married, and moved a a distance away, wants me to move near her. I mean, you know, that says something, right? Sure does. (laughs) Goodness, yeah. Yeah. And she, and I know with her she does. She's very strong willed. She does not want my advice. She doesn't want me to tell her what to do whatsoever, but she will call up and vent about something. Mm-hmm. And I know my role is to be there so she can do that. Yeah. Not to tell her what to do. As soon as you tell kids what to do and you're not supposed to, they will shut down. And what happens? I work with parents of teens. The kids have totally shut down because they have been blocking communication and has been kind of um, not supporting them in their decision-making process. So when I'm not sure um, whether my kids want my advice or not, I actually ask. Like they'll come in, they've got this, you know, they're 
mad about something and I'll say, do you want me to help you solve this problem or are you just venting? And they'll tell me, I'm just venting. And then I can sit back and relax and mm-hmm. just love them through it, right? But th- then I have to go into kind of a collaboration mode if they want help solving that problem. So here's the thing is they will ultimately make the decision though, right, Amy? Sure. Okay. Right. So have you considered what are some ways? So you're actually still a supporter because a collaborator is you come up with a decision you both decide on and oh. agree on. Oh, okay. 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 Collaborator, we're going to agree on this decision. So everybody has to agree to it. Okay. So when you're a supporter, you're, you have no input. I mean, you really, you're not going to, you have to really make it that it's, you know, it's up to you to decide what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. It's up to you. So you see, that's a different mindset. Mm-hmm. So you can still share suggestions if they want them, but that's still being supportive if they're ultimately choosing whether to follow those or their own. And yes, and it's helpful to let them know ahead of, ahead of time saying, you know, we can share ideas. I want you to know that you will make the decision and I'm totally honoring whatever decision um, I'm, you know, you don't have to do anything that I think of. It's up to you because I've seen situations where let's say a, a child has to do some volunteer work. I've seen this. Okay. And the parents come up with ideas and, but it's the, and the child decides, but somehow the way it's been presented, they'll end up saying, well, you told me to do this mm-hmm. and they're mad at their parent. So you have to be very mindful about when you present possibilities, it doesn't feel like you're kind of saying, well, this is what I think you should do. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, Can you give us an example of what that language sounds like? All right. So, well, even even if you say, have you thought of this? It's, I have such a strong-willed child. I only have one, but I'll tell you, I went to my parent educator because I needed help. And she said, well, your daughter's equal to three kids. So I can <laughs> say because of she had some trauma happen to her and a lot of the stuff was happening to her. Um, so to just kind of say, well, you know, I'm not sure which one you choose. Here's some possibilities. Like even saying, here are some possibilities versus have you thought of? I don't know. Just the have you thought of is to me a little bit more directing. Like you should think about this. Right. Rather than, well, here's, I, I, you know, I looked up and I saw there were some possibilities. I don't know which one you're, you're interested in. So, Yeah. So it's and each child's different. Like I like I said, I have a very strong-willed daughter to this day. I mean, she yeah, when she got married, it was not mom, what do you think? No, it was like, <laughs> here's what you can do for me. Okay. Nice. <laughs> At that that time where parent, you know, some mothers are like, oh, excited, I can help my daughter plan their wedding. Mm, no. <laughs> told me what to do. So that's what I'm dealing with. Yeah. So that's why my language is um, very careful. I'm very mindful of things that I say because, in fact, um, 
she she's on a trip right now. And I thought I would try something. She was, uh, you know, saying she's just about packed. And I said, oh, did you bring a hat? Now, I would never usually say something like that because the underlying message of did you pack a hat is you didn't think about it. <laughs> I have to ask you because you didn't think about that. Right. And so I normally wouldn't say that. I've learned not to. And I did. And the irritation in her voice was so palpable. Like, well, yes, you know, like, how dare <laughs> you even infer that I not packed a hat? So you see, this is what I'm dealing with. So when I tell parents, it's like, yeah. you know, to just be, you know, think about the words in the language. Right. I love that. My mom used to say, you'll want to, mm-hmm. and then tell me the directive. Yeah. Mine was what I always heard was you should. And so it's don't, don't should on me. (laughs) Right. Well, the fact that my mom thought she was softening it by saying, you'll want to to write your thank you notes the day after Christmas. You'll Mm -hmm. want to. One day I woke up and went, how do you know if I want to do that or not? (laughs) Yeah. I had the you shoulds all the time as well, Terry. Like, yeah. My mother to her dying day, which was you should have. Yeah. And, and I know it's it's with good intent and heart, you know, and then and I know that I have badly carried that forward. So I love your message that it's it takes so much intentionality to change what has been very, very normal, what we've received and then what we're passing on. And I think that's so important. You're saying be aware you may need to do this differently than what you're just normal, what you're doing, you know, knee jerk reaction. Yeah. It's yeah. like what I think, what is the end result you want? Okay. So I had an image. I wanted a close relationship with a teenage girl. Okay. So that's a pretty difficult thing to have. It doesn't mean we didn't have conflicts, but I wanted it where there was not this underlying angst. Because that's what happens. They get hurt, hurt, shaming, blaming, humiliation happens because that's the way humans have been raised from the beginning of time. That control, manipulation, shaming, right? And so what happens when you say those words, you should have, why didn't you? How many times I have to tell you over and over and over again, it hurts the relationship. Mm -hmm. So you've got this foundation of hurt. So then when they're teenagers, explosion happened over and over again and you're going what's going on rather than irritation well why can't I go there and then it's over with which is what I really worked at so that the irritation would come up be gone and then we would continue on and a good connection with each other yeah so what I love about one of the things I love about your book um, is that you spend some time talking about Um, how we have to shift our mindset and get rid of the idea that, well, kids should do what we say because we're the parents. And think Mm -hmm. about the when we look at how the brain develops, that we have the cognitive capacity to make these changes in how we communicate because our brains are fully developed. Our prefrontal cortex is fully developed where our child does not. And so even though some of us have the tendency to think, well, our kids should be the ones who change, 
they don't necessarily have the same capacity to do that, that we do. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and that's where the parents get frustrated because they keep looking for their kid to change. Mm -hmm. And that is just not that you're giving up your power when you do that. So when you try to change your child, you're trying to change something outside of yourself which is very difficult. And actually, when parents start to look at, okay, what's what have I said? What's the impact? And you know what? I want a different impact. I want a different response. I don't like that response. So they start thinking, what can I think, say, or do differently? So I'm going to get a different response. Mm-hmm. That's a position of power. Okay. Not trying to make your child change. Yes, that's a a big thing because I did a lot of that inner work. Boy, you know, I I did a lot to not. I mean, I used to be an elementary school teacher. I was a substitute teacher. Boy, was I a good substitute teacher because I had that stern nature, you know. And I had to learn that that didn't work. You know, didn't work with my daughter. I would try one little story. I tried when she was little. I was reading a book about... um, Oh, one of the strategies to get your kid to take over their dishes, right? She was maybe four or five. And it said, one of the strategies was to say to them, well, every time I have to take it over because you haven't, then I'm going to charge you nickel or a dime, right? For doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I, t- I thought, well, I'll try that on my daughter. She burst out crying. I'm never going to have any money. Oh, because she knew she wasn't going to do it. <laughs> she was right. going to get those taken away. That's right. That strategy wasn't going to work with her. Yeah. So I worked, you know, I used other strategies rather than trying to control and manipulate her through mm-hmm. some sort of a, a punishment or reward. It, that didn't, that doesn't usually work that well. Okay. So what strategy did work for your Yeah, partner? that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Um, the dish. Just reminder. The dish. Mm. That's all. Small words, shorten your words. I love that. And I did that when she would leave the towel on the floor in the bathroom, right? Mm -hmm. That's very typical, right? It's just because they aren't thinking it. So be careful of not thinking, why don't they pick it up? It's right there. They're just being so careless. You know, they're so thoughtless. So we have to be careful about all the negative thoughts we have about our kids, that they're Mm -hmm. bad and kids feel it. So it was like, you know, so I just said to my daughter, because I thought, I don't want to be negative with her. I said, you know, Jen, it really is better, right, when the towel's hanging up and it's drying, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know, I know that you're just so busy. You're leaving the bathroom. You're not thinking about it. So I wasn't blaming her. I was just saying, I know that isn't on your mind. How about if I just say something quickly to just to remind you so that you can go and hang it up? So I'm doing it with love and care. And and my job as a parent is to teach. Part of teaching is repetitive motion, right? Over and over again. So I said, how about if I just say towel and to remind you? Oh, okay. So because it was done in a nice way, not blaming her, not accusing her, not thinking, well, you should. There's a should, right, Terry? You yeah. should. You should pick up your towel. I shouldn't have to tell you all of that parents go through. Ugh, ick. 
Instead, I thought my job is to remind her. So I would see it on the floor and I'd just go by her room and I'd say, oh, towel. And she'd say, oh, I forgot. She would get up at that moment and hang it up. Mm -hmm. There wasn't hurt. There wasn't resentment. I wasn't putting her down. I wasn't, you know, the shaming. So each Mm -hmm. time I would just say, oh, towel. Mm -hmm. And then one day I noticed the towel was not on the floor. It was (laughs) hanging up. And I went in and I said, Jen, the towel's hanging up. And she said, yeah, mom, I've been doing it for a while. You just didn't notice. (laughs) So there is an example of with care and love, simple reminder is often all the kids need because when you start adding on the shaming, then what you're doing is they feel bad then their natural reaction is to protect themselves and maybe do revenge and hurt you back in return. Mm-hmm. Goodness. This I is so that. good. I am. Ooh, I'm soaking it up and thinking of all the ways I screw it up and how, Oh, I want to be different. I want to do different. And, and it can, the thing is when you're going to change and what I recommend parents is, is to say to their kids, you know, I realize I've been doing it this way. And, and that's kind of what I knew as what I grew up with. And I'm realizing that that probably doesn't make you feel very good. So I'm really going to work hard now to instead, I'm just going to say one word, not going to make you feel bad. So just so you know, so tell your kids you're changing, tell them why. So that they aren't confused, like what's going on here, because then they're hearing, oh, mom, dad. They're growing. They're changing. Yeah. So you know what? They're acknowledging that. That means I can acknowledge my weakness and look yeah. at it as well and grow and change. So you're building a culture in your family of acceptance of weaknesses and then wanting to move on and, and to improve one's life. Nice. Yeah. I want to... Go ahead, Amy. You had a question too. I have a big question too. I want to get. Well, to- you, I wrote down a quote from your book that I just loved. And you said, flexibility and open mindedness are key to interacting successfully with your children. And I think that that can be super hard for parents, right? To be flexible, to be open minded, to be open to the fact that, okay, we're going to create this plan. And if it doesn't work, then let's adjust. Right. Like let's collaborate and create a different plan. Or if this, if this word didn't work, you know, it's okay. I'm going to try something else or I'm going to repeat it a few times until it does stick. And so I think that we have to be willing to grow and learn, like you just said, as part of this process, if, if we want to have a cooperative environment and not an adversarial environment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's getting away from the fear that if I don't control, things are all going to fall apart. That's so much of parenting is fear-based that I must be in control. So if you understand there's certain things that you're going to be a director about and based on your values, you're going to have certain set rules. Like one of mine was when you are out, you must answer the cell phone when I call. That was a really strong rule that I had because at one time she didn't and I you know, was freaking out. So you pick those certain rules and those are guidelines. And then the other things, you're fluid. 
You work on them. You, you, because you're teaching your kids how to have dialogue and how to have discussion about appropriate things. Okay. Let me, let me clarify. I want to ask about, um, going back to that supporter confidant role mm-hmm. as opposed to collaborative, mm-hmm. as opposed to director role. Um, I want to ask, how do you understand? How do you know as a parent which role you should be stepping into. Here's my example. 17-year-old son, summer before his senior year. This may or may not be true right now. Maybe. Uh, 17-year-old son, summer before his senior year, um, he had incompletes on two classes this past year. Even though he's a sharp student, very social, he just didn't get the work done, which put him into summer school. Mm-hmm. Um the school has called me. Uh, he's not showing up. You know, I'm I'm not right there all the time. I'm a working mom. Um, and so I'm not right there to hold his hand to get him to that summer school program at 830 in the morning. And he's not showing up. I think he's gone once. How do I know if this is a director role or and then and then also then you get into the sticky thing of what if both parents aren't on the same page about what that role is? Yeah. So I'd love your input on this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I work a lot with couples. And um, so, and I want to tell you that most couples are not on the same page. And so I kind of help them try to come to a middle point because it is tough when you're not on the same page. All right. The schoolwork thing is a tough one because one of the questions you ask is, um, who is the pro- who's requesting the problem? Who wants a solution to the problem? So that's the first question I would say. Who wants the schoolwork done? What would your answer be to that? The parent. The parent, right. And the school? The school, yeah, the school for sure and the parent. And my son seems far less concerned. Right, that he isn't. So sometimes you have kids that, are concerned and they do want it done and they're having a hard time um, getting it done. So it's like everybody wants it done. It's more of a collaboration. Now, when you've got it where your child doesn't, doesn't seem to care and you know the future, right, that's going to happen, it's kind of like you have to even slip into a director role some. It, it's so that's what I mean. Yeah, it's it's if he if you know that boy, if he doesn't finish this, then there's problems that I need to I need to take on more responsibility. Now, some parents might just say, well, I'm just going to let them suffer and see what happens. That's so it kind of is based on your values as well. So one couple I'm working with. Their daughter is was at a school and it was so painful, her trying to get the work done. And um, it was just so painful and she doesn't want to leave the school, but it's a very expensive school and it isn't working for her. Okay, so here again, who decides where she's going to go to school? Right. And we're talking about it. And what we came up with is. Number one, it costs money. Are the parents willing? And they have to pay for a whole year. They're having to decide by July 1st. Do they want to pay a whole year? 
And then what happens when she doesn't succeed, right? Do they take her out and they put her in another school and then they're going to lose all that money, okay? Um, But we've kind of come down to the director role in terms of they are going to say, we're not willing to put out all that effort we had to put out last year. We don't think what that this school is a good fit for you. And they're going to actually present to her coming up. And I actually have to send them an email with some empathy statements to say about kind of being the director role and say, this is not, we're not going to allow you to go to the school. We're going to, we need to find other alternative schools. And we can certainly want you to be a part of that discussion. So they're going to kind of collaborate after she finishes getting upset with them, which she will. They're going to collaborate on what school to go to, but they have had to realize that they need to set their own personal boundaries. We're not willing to go through this again this year. So your question with your son, it's, it's, it may be where it's like, you know, this has to get done. And you might have to do like an after then or in order, you know, in order for these other things that you want to do to happen, this needs to happen or you need to attend. It's, it's tough because they don't see the future, right? They don't see the impact that it's having. And so sometimes you have to kind of step in as a director. It's not easy. I'm sure I'm gathering that it's a struggle to come up with what to do, huh? Yeah. 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 And I, like, I would choose the natural consequence of not finishing, right? And I would let my child know and remind my child what that consequence is going to be. If you don't finish, you're not going to graduate on time. Mm Mm-hmm. But I can't force your hand to hold the pencil to write the paper. Mm-hmm. And so, but not every family would choose that option, right? So. Exactly. So yeah. that's where it kind of comes to your values. Yeah. I mean, because if you're thinking, all right, if they don't graduate, then they're going to be here another year or two or three. And do I want that or what's going to happen to them? Um, so, yeah, it's. it's sure. It's no cut and dry. It's like really weighing your values and um, how much you want to put out. Like one family ended up moving her daughter. It wasn't, the school wasn't working to doing one-on-one. There's a school that they do one-on-one tutoring that Mm -hmm. she's going to do that for a while. And that seemed to be a better system than trying to make her stay where she was, where that wasn't working. We actually ended up we did move our daughter out of her high school uh, January sophomore year because it she was not going to school. It was not working. There were some social things happening there. And we ended up saying, this is not working for you. Mm-hmm. Because we said that, she did say, yeah, I guess you're right. It's not. But we had to make that. We had to be a director. Okay. And say, we need to find another place for you because this isn't working. Because she didn't have the the ability, right, to really be able to say that. And she was actually appreciative that we did. So you see, you, it's it's tough. There's no one answer. So that's when par- parents ask, what should we do? It's like, you have to look at your values and, and your child. So we need to take a break and let Terry read a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, um, I want to talk about 
mom's big butt words. (laughs) Are you concerned about your child's reading or spelling performance? Are you worried your child's reading curriculum isn't thorough enough? Well, most learning struggles aren't the results of poor curriculum or instruction. They're typically caused by having cognitive skills that need to be strengthened. Skills like auditory processing, memory, and processing speed. Learning RX one-on-one brain training programs are designed to target and strengthen the skills that we rely on for reading, spelling, writing, and learning. Learning RX can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, they've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. They'd like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give LearningRx a call at 866-BRAIN-01 or visit learningrx.com. That's learningrx.com. And we're back talking to Cynthia Klein, um, parenting coach and author of the book, Ally Parenting. And so, Cynthia, you say that there are mom's big butt words that make your kids stop listening. So what are those buts? <laughs> I love I love the play on words. Uh-huh. It's so good. Yeah. So but is one of the words. Um, we have been, tr- well, which, what's really wonderful the last say, 40, 50 years has been this whole um, new parenting approach and trying to be empathetic and listening, right? Like parents are really trained to listen and so um and to be empathetic right isn't that an important thing we need to be empathetic and listening to our kids and it gets kind of confusing when to be empathetic or what that means or how to do it and so the word but is um a, a critical word so when you're trying to be empathetic so that's one of the things I like to talk about is when your child, let's say they're really struggling with their schoolwork and you want to say, wow, it it looks like you're really, it looks like, not you are, it looks like you're really struggling with work, with the schoolwork. Um, But, you know, I know that you can do it. I have absolute confidence. So, Now, this is an interesting thing that I threw in here because I did an empathy, but then I, the problem was I said the word, but, and then I said that they could do it. So it's kind of confusing. It's like I had empathy, but then I kind of erased it because then I was saying what I said afterwards was more important than the empathy. Um, Another example would be, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I see that you want to uh, go to your friend's house, you know, that you really like doing, you know, playing with your friends. You really have a great time with your friends. But right now you need to get your chores done. So it's not like you need to get your chores done is a bad thing to say. However, I encourage parents to not say but. So you're really having a great time with your friend. You love being with your friends, period. So that they, when you're doing empathy, they feel the empathy. It needs to stand on its own. Then you can say, ah, you need to do your chores first before you can go. So just that's one of the words, but is it's, and we hear it all the time. Because whatever, whatever you say after but 
is more important than what you've said before, but. Like it kind of invalidates. So it invalidates any kind of encouragement or helping with options or anything I've said before. When I put but in there, it invalidates it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's good. So even if you just think about that word. And so think about if you have to say something, you can say, and I prefer a period. Mm -hmm. Um, And because when we want to be empathetic, it's like thinking you're not doing it to manipulate. That's what happens. A lot of parents do it to manipulate. Oh, I was, you know, I'm supposed to be empathetic, but what I'm really wanting is for them to do what I want Mm -hmm. or to do what I think they should do. So the empathy kind of falls flat. They don't really feel it. They'll get mad at you. You don't understand. Like like the example I said about, oh, you know, it's really hard, but I know you can do it. No, you don't. You know, it, you know, you don't understand. Leave me alone. And you're kind of going, what? No, I was. Just trying to be encouraging and you're getting mad at me. Yeah. That's important. Probably, that's good. Well, and you have good intentions, right? You're trying to show empathy. Um, so, I mean, it's just a little tweak in our language then to be able for that empathy to come across as genuine. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, intention is one thing, but really what matters is the impact on the other person. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. It, yeah. it You know, like to say, let's say you're trying to help your child and they're getting mad at you because and and you say i was just trying to help well that it's it's more effective to just say oh okay that didn't seem helpful let me try again that's a great distinction oh yeah that's good so talk to us a little bit about that wall of silence and language we can use to penetrate that wall of silence. And I mean, we see that in the teen years a lot, right? When nothing we say gets a response. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of things they don't want to talk to you about. And I know personally that there were some things my daughter was doing that she didn't want me to know about because she didn't want me to think badly of her. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing. When you have a close relationship and and loving relationship, that doesn't mean they're going to all want to talk to you. Because like I said, my daughter was, she had some trauma happen. Fifth grade, all these girls turned against her and it was really traumatic. And so she was kind of doing some things that she knew I wouldn't like. Okay. So she wasn't about to tell me about that. So just know that being connected and close can also be a problem because then they don't want you to know (laughs) what's going on. Um, But I do love to talk about the communication blocks, which are things that we say that keep our kids from talking to us that are really um, make them not feel heard um, or respected. So can I talk about the communication block? Absolutely. Oh, please. Yeah. And I'm taking notes like crazy. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I worked hard at this. I continue to work at it. I've been married 34 years and I continue to work on it with my spouse. So anything I'm I'm talking about, these communication blocks, um, you know, you use this with anybody. And uh, when I learned about it from Michael Popkin, my mentor, Uh, It was my very first parent education program training I had. 
And it blew me away to realize that when somebody is sharing their thoughts or feelings about something of their concern. So that's what I'm talking about now. When you see your, your, your child struggling or they're maybe wanting to bring up something. Okay. I'm not talking about when you're trying to get them to empty the dishwasher and when you're trying to get them to take out the dog. I'm not talking about that now. I'm talking about when they, uh, maybe they look upset or something's gone on or they, you pick them up from school and they're just like, I hate that teacher. You know, she's so mean, you know, gives all so much work. This is awful. Or they're doing a sport and they, um, they said, oh, I'm so horrible. I just can't do this. You know, those kind of things. Okay. Okay. That's cause that's, that's kind of the situation. They have angst in their life. How do you respond to allow them space to vent because when they can vent and get those emotions out, right, then they can think better afterwards. We can't think when we're emotional. Okay. So how you respond can allow them space to vent, get the emotions out of the limbic system. So then their prefrontal cortex can function better. So this could be, this could be even the unspoken, like, yeah, when you pick up your, teenager or, you know, I walk into the house and already, I don't know what's happened, but my kid is like this, you know, I make uh, for listeners, I'm making a face and crossing my arms. <laughs> so yeah. would this apply to that kind of thing too, where yes. you know, they're upset, but you don't know why. And they're not saying anything. Right. And they okay. have to be careful about not interrogating. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, there can be an instance where they are venting to you their and that's a little easier to respond to than when they're not. Um, so let's say they are venting and then I'll talk to you, them, them not. And there's one block that a lot of parents use is that they ask questions in a way where the underlying message is that you've done something wrong. Mm. So. Well, let's say they're their teacher, you know, venting about their teacher and you're saying and you're thinking, well, what's going on? I need to help her solve it. You know, maybe uh, the teacher isn't so bad. You know, you're thinking all these things and you start asking questions. Well, well, what happened? What what did you do? And right away, asking questions like that, the child could feel like my parents judging me. Mm hmm. Whatever I'm saying, um, they're going to say I'm wrong. So if you're asking questions and your child is shutting down or saying, well, you don't understand. You're blaming me. You think it's that I did something wrong and it's really the teacher. Then you know you've used the communication block called interrogating. Okay. Very common. So even if you pick your kid up, they're in the car and you say, how was your day? <laughs> Fine. If they don't want to talk about it, chances are their concern. Well, one of the reasons could be their concern that whatever they say, you're going to start asking more and more questions, start probing, and somehow they're going to end up feeling like they're wrong. Wow. That's a, it's a really powerful one. Another communication block is 
giving uh, un- so w- so let me go back to your thing about the child not saying anything mm-hmm. if you start asking them questions it again could f- like if you say well what's wrong mm-hmm. they could feel if they're feeling like oh my gosh whatever i say they're going to start questioning me more maybe they're you're thinking they're thinking they're going to s- my mom is going to start trying to figure this out they're going to try to solve it so they kind of have to put up this wall to keep you out from that invasion going on. What would be what would be a better way to to acknowledge that that oftentimes um, your kid is clearly communicating they're upset. You know they they are clearly wanting some kind of response. They're they're communicating a message, but so I don't want to say, "Hey, what's wrong? What can I do instead?" Right. So again, it it also depends on what your relationship is on how you can approach your child. Okay. So if you've been able to be a supporter at times where they know that you aren't going to just try to solve their problem, Mm -hmm. that they'll be more open to be able to talk to you. So if you have a tendency whenever they bring up something that you try to fix it, mm-hmm. right? That you're not a supporter, you try to take over as a director, they're going to be less likely to want to talk to you. Okay. Okay. So let me just take that situation because that is often what I come across to with parents who mm-hmm. are coming to me for guidance is they have a child not talking to them. Right. So, what I have them first do is I, I, I have a whole list of 10 communication blocks, <laughs> interrogating, commanding, me tooism, giving advice, sarcasm. So I have the parent go through them and talk to their teenager and say, you know, I think I've been saying or whatever age, it could be a 10 year old. I think I'm saying some things that when you're upset, that really makes you not want to talk to me. And I want to change that. So can I share with you some different examples and you tell me which ones I do? Mm-hmm. So when I've had parents do that, I mean, teenagers especially love to tell you, yeah, you're always giving me advice. You know, you're always asking me questions. But actually, the parents aren't doing as bad as they think they are because <laughs> parents read the whole list of 10 blocks. They say, I'm doing all of them. But mm-hmm. so you, you first want to, if there's been a wall there for a while, you want to first say to the, you know, the child, okay, which ones do I do? They might say you do five. Oh, yeah, you're always talking about yourself, which is a me tooism. When I'm trying to talk about myself, you're always talking about yourself or you're always trying to make me feel better, which is placating. So you get feedback and then you say, well, it's hard for me to work on five at once. Tell me which one or two you really want me to work on. Wow. So, yeah, mom, I'd I'd really like you to stop trying to make me feel better when I'm feeling bad. That's placating. So. Again, remember I talked earlier, when you're trying to make a change, you need to talk to your child about it. So when that happens, so now your your child has heard from you that you're going to work on listening and not giving advice or using sarcasm or talking about yourself. 
So let's say that that's been done. Okay. So then the child's sitting there. So the child knows that you're working on learning how to listen. So then you can come up with some empathy statements. And when you see a child upset, please look at them first, not as how do I fix this problem? My child's upset. How do I make them not upset? Okay. That's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. Like, because we, we don't want to see our child hurt, right? No. So we, we, we get in fix it mode. Yeah. That's right. Or placate. <laughs> Yeah, right, yeah. placating, trying to make him feel better. Yeah. It's it's really hard. And I think that's a lot of the strength as a parent is how can we hold those bad feelings that they're having and how can we manage them as well? Like, like so that they realize that they can handle those bad feelings. So if we can't handle those bad feelings, then they don't think they can handle them as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I saw my daughter go through a lot of hard feelings and that it, it's really important for us to be able to handle them. So let's say you ch- the child's sitting there and you could say something like, wow, it, it looks like looks like something's happened today. So I'm making a statement and not asking a question. Okay. And I'm saying something like it looks like. So notice this is for a thinker child more. It looks like something happened. I haven't said the word you and I haven't said a feeling word. So if you have more of a thinker, which my daughter is than a feeler, it looks like something happened today. It's, it's more, it can feel more comfortable for them. So more of a, a feeler type, you might say, oh, you, you seem kind of upset. So I'm saying seems like, looks like. So I'm using tentative words so that I'm not coming in like I know. And I'm not saying, well, what happened? You look upset. See, when I say you look upset, I'm like analyzing you, Mm -hmm. which could be considered psychologizing. So when you say you look upset, it's like they they could respond, no, I'm not. Like, like you're, you know what they're thinking and feeling. And they're feeling, how dare you tell me? I mean, I've just had a real, a lot of years of working on this. Like, wow, how people, plus I'm pretty strong-willed and, and I wouldn't like that either. So, uh <laughs> Because I know it personally. So kind of more like, wow, something something seems to be bothering you would be a possibility. Okay. So again, it's like paying attention to the the impact of what you say rather than your intentions. Okay. So when I say something like, wow, something seems to be bothering you, if I say that, and I can sit down and they maybe go, then I know that's a good thing. If I say that and they get mad at me, it could be or could not be. It depends. If they get mad and then they keep venting, 
it could actually be a good thing. So the whole point is to give them space where they can share what's going on without being judged and analyzed. And the hardest thing as a parent is that space you give them. It's not about you fixing it. It's only thinking, okay, their limbic system, they're upset. Their limbic system needs space to just vent. I'm not going to start to ask him questions now. We're not going to go to problem solving yet. That's kind of step three. Um, I'm just going to be here for them to vent. So that's like when you do the supporter role, sometimes you might just do step one and two, which is stop blocking step one, listen openly step two. And step three is to discuss ideas and and step four is to check in later. Now, my daughter often didn't want to discuss ideas. She was more of, she's, (laughs) I keep saying, very independent. She's doing great in the business world. I'll tell you, she's a manager. You know, so she needed the space where she could vent about things because then she could get clearer and she could think about things and come up with her solutions. Some others will actually, like you were saying, Amy, earlier about want to have discussions about possibilities. Some, then you're a full supporter, but some just know even if you are there as a supporter without going through all the problem solving, that they will remember that. I had one instance where she was very upset and she wasn't happy about herself in what she had done. And she was, didn't allude to, I kind of knew what it was, but we were never said exactly what it was, but I was just there listening to her. And, and she was like, how come you're being so nice to me? That's what she said. You know, why aren't you, why don't you get mean like other parents do? (laughs) I was just, I'm here. Yeah. I'm here for you. So she talked about something kind of inadvertently, but not directly. So she told me a couple years later when she was in college, she said, do you remember that thing that I was telling you about, which was what she said wasn't, she was just saying that she wasn't pleased with herself. Okay. She said, well, my roommate has the same problem that I used to have. So it was like knowing that just by her being able to vent about it in a way that felt safe and my being there and accepting her that she could make a change was very powerful for me. Like, wow, because we can't control them. Yeah. But you didn't have to direct that change. You didn't have to should on her. (laughs) You were just there to let her work through it on her own. That's, and that's powerful. Yeah, because you know what? We are not responsible for their lives. I mean, parents think they are. Like, oh my gosh, I'm totally responsible for how they turn out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe that. They have their own mission. They have their own path. We don't know what it is. Yeah. And to be able to be there. My, my goal was to be able to be there when things are really hard for her. And there were times she would call me up when she was on her own in college and afterwards and things were really hard, but she knew, and this is her dad as well can listen. She knew that we would never reject her, that we embraced her and loved her 
no matter what, and that we didn't think she should be perfect. We didn't think she should be a certain way. And that I always had confidence in her ability to change and grow because my, my whole family, we have a practice that we do twice a day where we really focus on ourselves growing and changing. So our whole family is based on that. How do we support each other as we're all growing and changing rather than you need to be the way I think you should be? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's hard. That is so good. That's the crux of it. <laughs> so we actually are over time. Yes. Um, yes. But um, I'd like to give you a chance to tell our listeners about your coaching program and how they can find you and work with you if they're interested. Yeah. Um, so I think the easiest way is if you can go to allyparenting.com, that'll take you to my website. It will show you about my coaching programs. I do one-on-one coaching. I also do talks. I've done over 600 talks at schools, um, uh, mostly in person, but I do a lot over Zoom as well. So if, if somebody wants me to come and talk to their school, I can just do it over Zoom. Um, but the one-on-one coach, it's just allyparenting.com will take you to my website. I think that's the easiest way to find me. You can also find my book on, um, it's in, uh, on Amazon or any other place you purchase books, Ally Parenting, and it comes in Audible as well as soft cover um, and ebook as well. And <clears throat> now, and, and I have different classes that I do at different times. And that way, when you go to my website, you can get on my, there's a place you can get on my newsletter. I have a weekly email that I send out. Then you can find out also about, like, I have an, a free class coming up next week. Okay, fantastic. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, and so, Cynthia, we just want to thank you for your wisdom and for sharing such specific examples. Yeah. And we know our listeners will have immediate takeaways that they can turn around and use today mm-hmm. um, with their own kids. And, you know, I I never do this, um, but I, I think everyone should own this book. As I was reading it, um, <laughs> I was making a list of everyone I wanted to send it to. And so listeners, hear me. It's phenomenal. Um, so I highly recommend that. Is it, would it be best to order that book at allyparenting.com or Amazon or what would you recommend? Yeah, no, not through me. I don't sell it. So you can, you know, simply go to Amazon. And I want to tell everybody that men love this book. It's very short chapters, very direct. I used to write for a magazine. So it's very male friendly. I work with as many men as women. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Good. And it's, and it's a quick read. I mean, you, you'll go back and digest more, but. Yes, it doesn't take more than a couple hours to actually get the overview um, for sure. Um, So, and we'll actually put those links, the links to purchase it on Amazon, the links um, to Cynthia's website, uh, we'll do all of that. Um, So if you would like more information about Cynthia's work, again, her website is allyparenting.com or bridges to understanding.com. You can find her on Facebook at Cynthia.Klein.Bridges and on LinkedIn at Cynthia J. Klein. And we will put those handles in the show notes as well as the link to purchase her book, Ally Parenting, a non-adversarial approach to transform conflict into cooperation. 
So thank you so much for listening today. If you liked our show, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you would rather watch us, we are on YouTube and you can find us on every social media channel at The Brainy Moms. So look, until next time, we know that you're busy moms and we're busy moms. So we're out. See ya. Bye.